Hi, boys and girls. This is Ms. Kathy. I'm so happy you've joined me today for another story just for you. Boy on a Warm School Roof by Leslie Moore When young Mr. Lowe faced the 7th and 8th grade class for the first time one bright fall morning, 23 pairs of eyes stared back at him. Some were friendly, some curious, some mischievous, and a few hostile. Mr. Lowe immediately spotted Monty McFall on the back row. Monty was short and stocky, and he was slumped in his seat. He appraised his new teacher with a cool, insolent stare while his jaws obviously and deliberately worked on a wad of gum. Mr. Lowe was worried, and for a good reason. These students had gone through three teachers in the previous year. All of the teachers had had years of experience, but they hadn't been able to control this class. Mr. Lowe was still a very new teacher. How would he be able to manage such a difficult class? Monty McFall was the ringleader. Mr. Lowe was well aware of that. All three of last year's teachers had told him so. The boy shouldn't have been allowed to remain in the school, but his father was a member of the school board, and so Monty stayed. And there he sat now, chewing away, ready to force another teacher to resign. Mr. Lowe said, Monty, we do not allow gum in the classroom. Please put it in the wastebasket. Monty remained slumped in his seat, his jaws working methodically as though he hadn't heard. The class swung around to look at him, and then back to Mr. Lowe to see what he would do. One or two snickers broke the stillness. Purposefully, without repeating this request, Mr. Lowe strode toward the rear of the room. He saw Monty's eyes flicker uncertainly. When Mr. Lowe was still a couple of paces from his desk, Monty slouched to his feet, scowled at the teacher, ambled over to the wastebasket in the corner, stalled for a couple of final exaggerated chews, and then loudly spat the gum into the basket. There were more snickers from Monty's friends. Mr. Lowe thought he saw the barest suggestion of a grin on Monty's face as the boy shuffled back to his seat. In the days that followed, Mr. Lowe began to wonder if he too would have to resign. Trouble there was, and plenty of it, and Monty McFall was usually in the middle of it. If Mr. Lowe looked down at his desk or turned around to the board, spitwads would begin to fly, girls had their hair pulled, and boys left their seats bent on mischief. The desks in that room, it seemed, would not close quietly. No student could walk to their seat without being tripped or accidentally treading on someone's toes. Whatever their faults, the students loved to sing. They sang well, and Mr. Lowe soon discovered that this was one way to restore calm and order to his class. Many a time when the noise and mischief became too troublesome, he would raise his hand and stop the lesson. Math, history, geography, and science were frequently punctuated by the old rugged cross, the church in the wildwood, I come to the garden alone, or what a friend we have in Jesus. Soon, even the troublemakers would be drawn into the cheerful singing, and when the lesson resumed, peace and order would prevail, at least for a few minutes. But Monty seldom sang. He would just sit there, a disdainful smile on his lips, devising some new mischief to torment his teacher. Mr. Lowe was waiting for Monty's crowning act of defiance. He had been told to expect it. It was the act that led directly to the last teacher's resignation. Sooner or later, Monty would climb up on the school roof and refuse to come down. He was careful to do this on the side away from the road. That's because one day he had been on the roof entertaining the school and the passers-by while his teacher commanded, 
pleaded, begged, cajoled, and threatened. Unfortunately, a police car had come along just then, and Monty had been rather badly humiliated. So from then on, he performed on the side of the roof away from the road. Well, the last teacher before Mr. Lowe had been unwise enough to climb up after Monty. To the huge delight of the other pupils, he rapidly proved that a plumpish, middle-aged man is no match for a healthy, active 13-year-old boy. The chase ended when the teacher lost his balance and very nearly fell off the roof. He did lose whatever remnants of dignity and authority he had retained until then. He did not come to school the next day. Monty did. Sure enough, one day it happened. The afternoon recess was almost over when a half-dozen youngsters burst into Mr. Lowe's tiny office and said, "'Please, sir, come quickly. Monty McFall's on the roof.' "'Oh, is he?' Mr. Lowe smiled. "'I hope he's enjoying himself. I shouldn't like to be perched on a steep, corrugated iron roof on a hot afternoon like this.' Mr. Lowe looked at his watch. "'Anyhow, recess is over now.' He stood up and walked out onto the playground, trailed by a group of students. A crowd of boys and girls stood gazing up at the roof where Monty sat enjoying their attention. With barely a glance at the roof, Mr. Lowe rang the bell for the end of recess. For a moment, no one moved, so he called out pleasantly, Recess is over! Please form your line! He received many mystified looks as the students fell into line and marched into their classroom. Mr. Lowe launched into American history as though nothing in the world was the matter. Now and then he would be interrupted by the drumming of heels over his head. Mr. Lowe would pause a moment and the noise would soon cease. Drumming one's heels on a steep roof and keeping one's balance is neither comfortable nor entertaining when it produces no response. Eventually, class curiosity could contain itself no longer. Ernie Pratt raised his hand. Please, sir, aren't you going to do anything about Monty? I don't think so, Ernie, Mr. Lowe responded. If Monty prefers to spend the last hour of school toasting himself on that warm roof, why should I interfere? The classroom is so much quieter this way. It can't be very comfortable up there, you know. In fact, I almost feel sorry for Monty. I wish we could cool him off a little. At that moment, inspiration struck Mr. Lowe. Why, yes, he continued, I think there is something I can do for him. Excuse me for a moment while I make a telephone call. You may all read to the bottom of page 64. Ernie's jaw had sagged a little, and it remained that way as Mr. Lowe stepped into his office. One of Mr. Lowe's neighbors was Fire Marshal, and during a recent chat over the backyard fence, he had mentioned something about the need for more practice for some members of his crew. Mr. Lowe's call did not take him long, and judging by the smile on his face when he returned, it was satisfactory. Ten minutes later, Joey Ferris, who sat by the window, suddenly interrupted the story Mr. Lowe was telling about Abraham Lincoln. Sir, there's a fire engine stopped opposite the school. Oh, is there? Mr. Lowe continued his story as though fire engines stopping outside the school were to be expected every day. Sir, they are connecting a hose to the hydrant. Joey's voice took on a note of extra urgency. Several of the boys jumped up and rushed to the window. Since Mr. Lowe did not reprimand them, the whole class was soon clustered at the windows. Sir! Sir! They're bringing the hose in the gate! Joey fairly squealed. Just then, the pump motor came to life. Two firefighters holding the nozzle directed a jet of water in a graceful arc up onto the roof. The water sounded like thunder on the metal. The students could trace its progress as the firefighters steadily swept it back and forth along the length of the roof. 
They also heard Monty's outraged howl when the jet first landed. Hey! What's happening? But the remainder was drowned almost literally by the water on the roof. Monty's yell was succeeded by sounds of slithering and bumping. Suddenly, his legs appeared in the curtain of water that was now cascading off the edge of the roof. They waved wildly as they searched for one of the porch posts. In another moment, a drenched and very angry young man faced Mr. Lowe. "'You'll pay for this, you will,' Monty spluttered. "'I'll have my dad after you. He's twice as big as you are.' That last statement was just about true. "'And he'll see you're fired.' Monty was hopping from one foot to the other in his tantrum. Most of the children were laughing, this time at him. Mr. Lowe was not smiling now. "'Monty McFall, you will leave these school grounds at once, and you will not come back until you are prepared to behave properly.' If your father wishes to discuss this matter with me, he knows where I live. Now go. Mr. Lowe pointed to the gate with his left hand. Monty's father did not call on Mr. Lowe that evening. When school began the next morning, a rather sheepish Monty was present with a mumbled apology for Mr. Lowe. No, Monty's reformation wasn't instantaneous or complete. Bad habits aren't broken so easily as that. But new respect for Mr. Lowe showed in his manner, and the 7th and 8th grade class was much better behaved from that day on. And when they sang songs in class, guess who joined the chorus and belted out, I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. The story you have heard today is from Guide's Greatest Stories, written by various authors and compiled by Randy Fischel, and used with permission from the Pacific Press Publishing Association. If you're interested in any other books published by the Seventh-day Adventist Church, please visit AdventistBookCenter.com or call 1-800-765-6955. This podcast is a production of the Carolina Conference of the Seventh-day Adventist Church.